I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you like listening to? Um... <laughs> Chart music. <laughs> Chart music. Crazy youngsters, and welcome to the final part of chart music number 49. I'm your host, Al Needham, under heavy manners in Nottingham, and I'm linking up with Sarah B in London. Yo! And Neil Kulkarni in Coventry. Hello, Chucky Bab. How are we, Duckies? <laughs> Apparently, going the slightly mental, judging by my, uh, <laughs> my hysterical yeah. introduction there. Hello. Hi, Al. How are you? Hey, I'm fine, Duck. Absolutely fine. Are we uh, are we exercising? Have we had our um, one days? Um, have we had our one exercise bit? Yeah. I can't, mate. I can't go out. It's it's so tense out there. Or it's actually it's tense in some places, not nearly tense enough in others. At the, that's at the time mm. of recording. People are mostly oblivious, and honestly, I'm like crisscrossing the road to try to keep my distance from people. And they're just strolling along, so I'm getting mm. loads of exercise. When when I have yeah. been out, I've kind of got. I've I've taken so many more steps than I would do normally because of like just just yeah. scooting out of the way of people. You know, it's it's yeah. very it's it's very weird. Just suddenly behaving <laughs> completely differently in a space and looking at people like you know because uh, I was out with with my bloke and he was sort of slightly ahead of me and there was a, a bloke with a tiny toddler that suddenly swerved and started making a beeline for me. I'm like ah. You're basically playing Frogger, aren't you, Sarah? Basically, yeah. And and yeah, yeah we should point out that. Um, the weather. I'm. I've always thought that the British weather had its own evil sentience, and yeah. I feel like that's being proved now because you know this happens, and there's it's like everyone stay in your homes, and the sun comes right the way out, yes, and goes ah, oh, tempty, tempty, come on out, making wanker signs at us. Yeah, yeah. It's... Now's when we need all that fucking rain. But um, I've had sort yeah. of in, yeah. in as much as I've um, had a good gossip with my elderly neighbour over the back uh, fence. Um, about new neighbours, about everything. It was a nice little 10-minute chat. But that, that, that doesn't really count as exercise. But it's fresh air, what the hell. And I didn't have a fag in my hand when I was doing it. So it counts, yeah. Absolutely. Good lad. Wow, yeah, it does, yeah. You're on lockdown with the ute dem, aren't you, Neil? Oh, God, man. Yeah, and, and look, look, if I was a kid, right, and, and I'd been sent home from school and, and I knew that we wouldn't be attending for several months, I would not be fucking emailing my teacher looking for things to do. For fuck's <gasps> no. sake, it, you know, it's you know I mean? all intents and purposes. We're on a massive snow day for a long, long time. Um, exploit that opportunity. Yeah. People want to do Skype meetings, Zoom meetings. I get that they want routines going on, but I, I'm very much of the, all of this could be sorted out with an email. 
absolutely fine with just being left the fuck alone, thanks. Yes. We are discovering at this point, aren't we? Like, all of these things that could actually yeah. have been done online anyway. And all these things, all these meetings that were so important. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, no, it's, it's, we'll, just, we'll just do an email. It's like, it's taken a global pandemic for, for work to be, you know, to have its bullshit sorted out. In, yeah, in that yeah. way, you know, to leap leap into this century, really, um, it's been forced along. But it's, it's odd. Yeah, I should point out though that like there was a huge kind of uh, slew of you know, understandably, people going use this time to make make a thing, write the novel, do the thing. Yeah, and and yes. However, it's also okay if you do fuck all because, you know, this yeah, is a really yeah, intense man. time. People are, you know, a lot of creative people are also very anxious people. And it's like, give yourself a break. Anyone who's listened to this who's feeling a bit like, yes, I can write the novel this now. I mean, it. I literally started on a novel and am I going to finish it this time? Fuck no. no because I actually, mm-hmm, my head mm-hmm. is so full of other stuff. I mean, I'll, I'll get some of it done, but I'm not going to, you know, it's not going to be, and here you go, thump you know, a massive doorstop of a thing. It's like, behold my Meister work that I wrote during this extremely anxious time. You know, it's like, give it, it's all right. If you don't create a damn thing, except an amazing sandwich out of all the crap in your cupboards, like, that's fine. I am I am telling you. Yeah, and kids can do that. They don't have to do meetings. Well, I mean, as far as exercise goes, the other night, I found myself on, like, the busiest main road in Nottingham, and it was empty. I, I got my iPod on. And, you know, I, I just started doing the running pal <laughs> right down the middle of the road all the way to the off-licence. So liberating. And also, if, if there was anyone about, I didn't notice, but if there was anyone coming towards me, they'd be getting the fuck away pretty sharpish. So we're into the final stretch of this episode of Top of the Box. Come on, let's not fuck about. Yeah, we yeah, can yeah. do this. Yeah. George! <laughs> Lots of movement. Shack Attack, a track called Easier Said Than Done. OK, Total Pots about the best-selling singles. Here's number 20. At 20, Diana Ross, Why Do Fools Fall In Love? At 19, Cambodia from Kim Wilde. At 18, Flashback, Imagination. At 17, Still There, The Tweets and The Birdie Song. At 16, My Own Way from Duran Duran. At 15, Spirits in the Material World, The Police. At 14, Young Turks, Rod Stewart. At 13, it's Rock and Roll from Status Quo. At 12, Waiting for a Girl Like You, Foreigner. At 11, Wedding Bells, Got Me and Cream. And at 10, I Could Be Happy, Altered Images. And at 9 this week, we welcome Tom Pop Studio, John Anderson and Van Gelis. Number 9, superb single, I'll Find My Way Home. Ask me work to begin Am I so lost in my sin? You ask me where How? who we saw dancing on his own at the end of Easier Said Than Done, is suddenly surrounded by zoo wankers who appear to have teleported right across the studio, including a new zoo wanker in a green jumpsuit who looks like the world's most effeminate (laughs) ghostbuster. Oh, man. Every time you look around, there's always one more zoo wanker who who hasn't caught your attention. Then you can't stop looking at them. Desperate for those future appearances. Yeah. Show-off bastards. Woo! 
Lots of movement, he declares, and he's not lying. He then piles into the chart from number 20 to number 10 before introducing us to a superb single, (laughs) I'll Find My Way Home by John and Vangelis. Formed in 1979, John and Vangelis were John Anderson, who had just left Yes after 11 years, and Evangelos Papathanasu, formerly of the Greek psychedelic band Aphrodite's Child with Demis Roussos, who was currently best known for the soundtrack of Chariots of Fire and had just finished the original soundtrack for Blade Runner. They had known each other since 1974, when Vangelis was mooted as a replacement for Rick Wakeman in Yes, and although that never came off, Anderson made guest appearances on three Vangelis LPs in the 1970s. They immediately hit pay dirt when their debut single, I Hear You Now, got to number 8 in February of 1980, but the follow-up, The Friends of Mr Cairo, failed to chart. This is the follow-up, which entered the charts in mid-December. It bided its time during the Christmas break at number 10, and this week it slipped up one place to number 9, and here they are in the studio. The audience are kind of really not doing themselves any favours here. Yeah. Um, because we do finally get to see them, but unfortunately this isn't really a danceable song. It's a pranceable song. Um, in this weird kind of waltz-like time signature that really precludes any proper dancing. And also mm. it's so fucking weedy that even, even the audience's somewhat dismal swaying uh, mm. doesn't really look right. This is actually one of those rare numbers where it would have actually benefited from forcing Zoo to come up with some kind of routine for this yes. rather sort of mimsy... Um, folky, proggy, synthy song. Yes. Yeah, let's see ya. See ya now. Um, and it's astonishing, really. I mean, this is the same year he's working on the Blade Runner soundtrack, Van Gallis. You know, kind of, it shows what synths can do, that soundtrack. And yet this song is really just an old-sounding Cat yeah. Stevens-type number, a folky number, um, given a few proggy lyrics and, and, and played with synths. And it, it's, yes, I've been singing it all week. I will admit that. It's a catchy number. I've been whistling it. But um, it, 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 it's not exactly suitable for Top of the Pops. To, to Anderson's credit, he looks like he's, he's ridden the kind of Aventis crossover pretty well. Um, despite, um, this is a recurrent figure in this episode, clearly, despite looking like um, Bob from Rita Sue and Bob 2. Mm, yes, it does. <laughs> I thought I were great. And I, I also really do quite like the, the strange cutaway in the instrumental section where it cuts away to sort of various stills of, of John and Vangelis yes. in the studio crafting the magic having fun in the studio it's a slideshow it's a middle-eight slideshow it's fucking it's an innovation that i like what i have never seen before with the keyboards like forming a sort of a sort of um a paddock around them barrier in which to frolic i counted nine keyboards there (laughs) with this kind of thick heavy blue overloid border um, it's like the intro to Bagpuss, but for, for kind of... Yes! <laughs> yes! Um, but, you know, this is what happens. <laughs> I know it's a catchy number, but this is what happens when proggers um, write pop music. Mm. That they, they kind of come down to it from their yeah. promontory of musical smugness to kind of deign to give us a simple tune that hasn't got 54 different chords in it. Yeah. And you invariably get this kind of nursery rhyme type shit because they slightly look down on pop. 
Um, and, and really, when we think about sort of where the 80s are going to go pretty soon, that mindset of kind of simplifying what they want to do in a sense um, and, and making these nursery rhyme type shit pop songs. Yes. Um, we'd see that reach full fruition soon with the likes of Howard Jones and Nick Kershaw. Um, at the moment, we haven't yeah. got new farts pointing the way. We've got these old farts pointing the way. Mm. But this song, catchy though it is, does kind of point towards um, an aspect of the 80s which is going to get increasingly vexing and annoying in coming years. That 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 use of synths to craft these kind of sappy nursery rhyme type pop songs often written by those with a with a prog no. mindset like Howard Jones. No. I mean Vangelis he's, he is a radio to Giorgio Moroder isn't he? Yes. He's the anti-Giorgio if you will. All that well, talent, all that technology but no flash or excitement and uh, you know the yeah, fact but, that he's pretending to do all the synthy stuff on a white piano that no mate. And he's wearing not only a sweater but I had to peer at this because I was like, okay, so that's yes. a sweater. And is that a scarf that matches the sweater in a sort of sweater set? Or is it yes. like a scarf printed onto the sweater? And it's it's an actual Ooh. scarf. It's a scarf. It's, an, it's an, an extra garment. It looks like he got it for Christmas off his auntie. Yes, it's red. With and his mum's gone, you make sure you wear this, Avangelis. <laughs> <laughs> Spent all autumn knitting that, but yeah, it's it is um it, it's it's the never starting story, is this? And and I think the Maroda, yes. the Maroda comparison is, is quite is quite apposite if 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 I if if, mm. if I may say so. Um, but yeah, I mean the Blade Runner soundtrack is just a magnificent work. It's yeah, it, it's fucking incredible. I mean, I love I love the I love the movie, but I mean the soundtrack is almost better. Than the film that it soundtracks is, but I mean this is a sort of malfunctioning water feature of a song. It's a kind of there's a sort of dribbling dribbliness to it, and kind of vocals about everything's dribbling sort of as if over a suburban rockery, and and yeah. and I don't I don't like John Anderson's voice. He's enunciating too much. It's yes, it's very it's very Euro, it's very Eurovision. It's very and well I say that I mean obviously Eurovision is an extremely broad church, um, but mm. this is a bit sort of. Cinq points. Yeah. How many point? How many points is it in Eurovision? I can't remember. Is it is it dues that is the the dues that yeah, is the big Yeah. And so it's uh, it's a, it is a solid dues Yeah. Me. Well, I've I, I hated this song <laughs> because it was on radio all the fucking time, mm. and as soon as it started, you knew you were in for a long haul. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was it was like being on a train journey and knowing there's a big tunnel coming up. Yeah, yeah. And you're gonna have to sit there for the next five minutes. Not being able to read your comic, and a reminder as well that technology isn't sa- technology isn't necessarily <laughs> salvation. I mean, this is essentially like synths are exciting, right? In the early mm-hmm. eighties, synths are kind of exciting because of the noises that they yeah. make. But if they're welded to just be kind of a weedy folk song, which is essentially what this is, yes. you know, this is no different than a kind of mm-hmm. I don't know a Cat Stevens cast off, if you like. It, it's it's a negligible song. Cat shit Stevens, if you will. Cat shit Stevens, quite. Um, you know, you can't polish a turd, can you? You can, you can cover it with loads of glittery synthy stuff, but it's still no. it's still basically a rather ploddy, dull yes. folk song um, that would be best in the hands of an early seventies yeah. balladeer that I could safely ignore, rather than you know being at the heart of top of the pops like this. Yes, um, yeah. But at least Van Gelis is sitting down. We don't have to look at his arse. True. Well, he has, you know, for all his faults, the man has dignity. Yes, um, <laughs> dignity always. Yes. 
yeah. Uh, and of course, no zoo wankers for this, as mentioned. We, we do see the back of the crumb, but we do see that copper again. And he's got his arms up in the air in a reverie. In a what? In a what, Al? In a what? Reverie. So I just wanted to hear you say it again. Thank you. Reverie. Mm. <laughs> what? Carry on. <laughs> but what can you do to this record? No. I mean, I said you could prance to it, but you can't really even do that, to be fair. Can you do the hobby horse to you it? You should have got Romo Ralph Wiggum back. I just <laughs> give him a stick. Give him one of them sticks with an handkerchief tied on the end and, and make him do some uh, interpretive dance to Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Kind of like looking round for a for a road sign. Yeah, he could have done a heartbreakingly poignant tableau to this. He really could. Oh. So the following week, I'll find my way home. Inched up one place to number eight, and the week after that would we'll get to number six, its highest position. The follow up, and when the night comes, only got to number eighty seven in May of nineteen eighty three, and they never bothered the top forty again. Although one track on the Friends of Mr. Cairo, State of Independence, was picked up by Donna Summer, who took it to number 14 in November of this year. Yes. The duo were put on hold in 1983 when Anderson joined the reformed Yes, and Van Gelis concentrated on theatre and ballet work and the occasional solo LP, but they reunited in 1991 for the LP Page of Life. Why? <laughs> Page Why? of Life. Fucking hell. <laughs> State of independence, though, I have to represent for that. It is a, it is a, yeah, um, yes, corker. yes, it is a, a stately thing. Oh, can you imagine if Angelus had done "I Feel Love"? Wow, it'd it, be such a different world, wouldn't it? Imagine what's happening in the in the timeline where that happened. That's a different history, yeah. and it'll probably be a fucking history as well. Yeah, but I bet I bet things would be better now. But they would have been, you know, I don't know. It's a, that's a it's a stupid thing to think about, but you know. No, if I feel do. love doesn't happen with Giorgio Moroda, then the eighties don't happen. Really. Not our eighties. Yeah. Quite a big chunk of the nineties no. don't as well. So yeah. Anyone who listens to my radio show will know I played it every single day for about five weeks. John and Van Gelis, and I'll find my way home. That's the number nine. What's the number eight? At number eight, it's Dollar and Mirror Mirror. At seven, get down on it from Cool and the Gang. At six, Daddy's Home, Cliff Richard. At five, One of Us on ABBA. At four, It Must Be Love from Madness. At three, Ant Rap from Adam and the Ants. At two, The Land of Make Believe from Bucks Fizz. And this week at number one, in Top of the Pop Studio, on Top of the Pops, The Human League, and Don't You Want Me. Surrounded by the kids, breaks down the rest of the charts from number eight, finishing off with this week's number one single, Don't You Want Me, by the Human League. 
We've covered the league in chart music's 11 and 39, and this, their ninth single, is the follow-up to Open Your Heart, which got to number six for two weeks in October of 1981. It's also the fourth single from the LP Dare, which kicked off a row between the band, who thought it was the weakest track on the album, and felt another LP track as a single would be a rip-off, and Virgin Records, who were convinced it would be a nailed-on hit. After the label agreed to issue the single with a band poster and fork out for a decent video, the league relented and it was put out at the end of November. It immediately crashed into the charts at number nine at the beginning of December, then soared to number one the week after keeping Daddy's Home by Cliff Richard off the Christmas number one slot. (laughs) And here it is. In its fifth week atop the summit of Mount Pop. And here's a clip of one of their previous appearances. This really is the swung song of the Aventis, isn't it? it? it Both the song and the, 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 the performance. This appearance is just imperious. And it almost makes the entire episode worthwhile. You know, just like a great pop single can make the whole chart rundown worthwhile. Mm. Um, you know, I've said sort of previously how in 81, you know, non-stop erotic cabaret just came into my world and shattered my world. Um, but close behind it in late 81 and uh, early 82 was Dare. Um, mm. And it's a completely different thing in a sense. Where non-stop erotic cabaret suggested all kinds of dark alleys and other lives, Dare sort of only suggested itself, if you like. It was really holistic and sort of self-contained. And, and Although I preferred Love Action Sound of the Crowd kind of end of Human League, this was music that was clearly, it was it was too good mm. to be played by traditional musicians. There was always a sense with the Human League that they both yes. used <laughs> their equipment amazingly, but they were also used by the equipment as well. So it's all about the little tiny details in this music, the drums and and yeah. the the little synth details martin rushant recalls working with with johnny harris the band arranger and learning arrangement the ability to leave space so in any human league song in the in the dare era mm. it's not just one kind of earworm there's like a dozen little different hooks that you can sing to per song sort mm. of often happening at the same time and getting yeah. there home and putting it on because it was definitely an at home yeah. listening experience or, yeah or, or if you're lucky walk around with your walkman or yeah or yeah i were copper it was like a test disc for your uh, music center you know for your stereo because yeah. your ears just felt lavished and it had this sort of simultaneous gorgeous clockwork feel thanks to the programming but it also felt propulsive and like it was being played by humans and crucial yes. to that was the, was the mix of voices. Phil yeah. just always sounded mardy. You know, he always sounded mardy ass, but just so much better than nearly everyone else who was yeah. singing to synth music at the time. He just had this control right, yes. better than everyone anyone else. I mean, think about it. Better than better than Simon the Bomb, um, better than Dave Gahan, and, and way better than Tony Hadley. There's sort of no cheese or weediness to, to Phil's voice, just power and what sounds like proper anguish. I, I would argue that vocally, um, Phil Oakey has, has much less in common with his contemporaries than he does to 60 singers. Um, even if the bulk of the lyrics on Dare are yeah. kind of positive and pop orientated. And, you know, in interviews at the time, Phil Oakey was kind of rejecting bohemianism, it was all about professionalism. 
and kind of entertainment. You can tell that by this period, yeah. in contrast to early Human League, that ABBA have become you know just as important to Human League as Eno and Bowie and everyone else. And yeah, this performance is just imperious. And, and it's also the kind of performance in the period, really, where in which Joanne and Suzanne become just so, so important to what Human League are doing. And, and you know, the video and this, the song rely on a certain ambiguity. Uh, are these characters or is that the Human League is singing about? Or is this a projection into yes. the future in a sense of, of Phil yeah. the Svengali kind of hiring the girls for the band? And that the video was similarly meta, had really high production values, just like the record. So, you know, it's just the perfect irresistible package, a whole record in which the story is contained and it's satisfying yeah. for exactly, exactly that reason. And, and as full a portrayal of that kind of abandoned, wretched Svengali figure as, as a star is born, um, Judy yes. Garland version, naturally. Um, yeah. Like I say, in terms of Human League singles, I'd rather hear Mirror Man, I'd rather hear Love Action. I'd rather hear Sound of the Crowd. But this is just mammoth. And and for anyone who's ever DJed will know that, that this, like Common Eileen mm. or Tainted Love, it just still wallops any UK dance floor, definitely. And it's, yeah. it's just one of the greatest UK number one singles ever. I don't think anyone other than Phil Oakey has yeah. got that look that I love so much, that look of fantastic eyeliner fantastic lippy but being utterly fucking hench as well i don't think anyone got it as uh got it as right as phil Oakey. yeah uh, well, i i don't know i i don't know what i can add to that that is that's frame that uh, cut print that <laughs> um i mean yeah they are they they are totally in control of their vehicle here aren't they i mean it's just yeah mm. it, it is a joy to see it's always a joy to see someone who is in command of themselves and their persona and their their whole okay. their whole deal and the, the machine the machinery just turning perfectly before your eyes and ears it's just it's it's fucking great um and it's one of those it's one of those songs that is just you know that everybody knows and has, has almost been worn down a bit by time and familiarity but will never be truly sullied yeah. you know it, it matters not you know how many kind of drunken hen night catawalls it's put through you know, no, nothing can <laughs> yes. diminish it in fact it's probably only enhanced by that because that is like you say it's it's dance floor filler that's part of the collective experience that uh now as i'm saying this you know fucking hell everything just has this weight about it right now doesn't it it's like oh imagine a mm. filled dance floor when are we going to, you know, mm. I look yeah. to the day yeah. when we're going to get on one of those again. Looking through the top 10, Cliff Richards got his hand on his face. I'm like, oh, mate. We <laughs> <laughs> get different opinions about this record in a sense, because when those, what, you, we all know how this record. Some people don't appreciate it. Who? Some people think it's cheesy, you know, I mean, well, dickheads. Fucking yeah, dickheads. Where are they? Let's get them. Dickheads who can fuck off. If you hear the opening portion of this record. If you hear that that drum pattern and that sort of jittering mm. um, synth pattern as well, you're there. You're on that dance floor, no matter who you are. Yeah, I think Sarah's absolutely right that nobody here is not being themselves. That's the weird thing. It's such a glistening, perfect record, and yet nobody's not being themselves. Phil is no. completely being himself. Yes, and the girls as well. Susan actually sings, in a sense, not off key, 
but it, it's not some sort of falsely strident thing that, that matches the peerlessness of the music in a way. It fits because everyone's being themselves, both the musicians, but the singers themselves, Susan and Joanne as well, are all just part of this thing, whilst not sort of inflating themselves in a sense. It's a really realistic yet majestic record. Well, well if you put aside craft work, you know, as we've already discussed, all the, the absolute greatest synth records are the ones that bring out the humanity of the people performing it. Yeah, the women here are, are, you know, obviously they are pushing against a degree of uh, disdain, which would have applied anyway, but especially did because uh, this was like the second or was it the third incarnation of the Human League? And it's like, oh, you've got some girls, you've got some dolly birds in, have you? And it is quite Uh, a bit of crumpet, a bit of scared. Um, but yeah, the, the 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 way that she sings that verse, um, Suzanne, is it's very sort of northern and shouty yeah, yeah, and yeah. birdy. Yeah, I was working as a waitress in. It's like it's loud and it comes yeah. right from you know, um, and mm. and then she sort of does it, you know, and then she sort of sweetens it up a bit. And says, I still love you. Is is she softens it a bit? But yeah, and then in the court, I mean, mm. I've yeah. So even though familiar as this is. You know, when you sit down to analyse it for, for, for such a thing as a podcast, you notice some things like um, just the kind of mm. edge mm. of malevolence. Yeah, yeah. and the, But it's, it's kind of a it, it's quite a, the, a pathetic sort of whinge, really. It's a pathetic male whinge, mm. in the, but delivered in this very mm. powerful way by a handsome man in a full face, of beautiful makeup and lippy, which mm. is just kind of such a delicious combination, you know. And it's kind of a, a yeah, a, a guy just boom up, you know, just like you'll you'll be, you know, you will regret this because uh, because I'm entitled to it. You know, it's oh, I don't know. You look back at it from from somewhere like here, and you just the stench of kind of entitlement is 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 real. You know? <laughs> and, and Joanne is is doing the chorus and sort of just just sort of um, cleaves very sort of closely to, to Phil's vocal line. And like now, just thinking of it in that way, it just sounds like she's sort of mocking him and just saying back mm. to him what he, you know. Um, which is also great. Just everything about this is great and so clever, so right, isn't it? I mean, you know. One of the startling things, uh, as I was already mentioned, is that this, you know, the band didn't even think this was going to be a single. Yeah, you know, Mental, the full single, and, and only the single on the suggestion of the the record company. And I think what that reflects really is is just how much hostility the girls faced in their yeah. initial entrance into Human League, um, not just from sort of your spotty male fans of early Human League, but also, you know, yeah. um, female fans of, of Human League as well really resented the kind of introduction of the girls. Um, and I'm wondering if the band sort of, knowing that this song could be interpreted as being about um, the hiring of the girls into the band, whether they just wanted to kind of head off that yeah. ho- inevitable mm-hmm. hostility that this record was faced. But it's, would face, but it's, it's staggering to think that this could have just been an album track. Yeah. And that we would have never got to see the video. We never got to see the Rover, the yes. brilliant car that's in that video as well. And these things that are all, you know, just such a big part of our memories of pop um, might have just never happened. It's staggering to think that. But it, it's also just amazing that they didn't consider mm. this a single. But as a track, it just makes the weediness of the rest of synth pop so apparent at the time, mm. much like Soft Cell had done the year before. Because um, this is just a great walloping song. And, and Phil invariably is key to the, putting a song across with that crucial mix of, of lippy eyeliner and just fucking henchness <laughs> that he yeah. always got so absolutely dead on. 
Um, staggering to think it could have been an album track. Thank God it wasn't. Yeah, I know. And if this isn't the the swan song of the Aventis, then it's definitely the last in the line of massive number ones from synthy weirdos, for want of a better yeah, word. Yeah, for me, there's a there's a big drop off after this, and I don't mean in terms of uh, a human league singles. I just mean in terms of eighties number ones. This is the last kind of really truly great eighties number one that we're going to have for a while. I mean, already in the eighties we've had we've had Ghost Town, we've had Tainted Love, but after this. I mean, genuinely, as a pop listener myself, the next number one to really, truly, tremendously excite me would probably have been, uh, there's nothing now until Frankie. I mean, I know we've got Adamant, we've got ABC and other things coming up this year, but this to me is a real, real high point. And um, yeah, sort of, it's one of the greatest number ones of all time, better than Come On Eileen. Common Eileen is not a great song and not the best of two Raya. Um yeah. This is just one of the greats, one of the great number ones ever. Yeah. Bit harsh on Rene and Renato, but I'll let it pass now. <laughs> All of television history is contained in the box of delights. I've climbed up Nelson's column once before. These are small. And put it down in front of Backpush. I'm Julia Rayside. Join me and my guests as we dip into our favourite TV memories. Boys mustn't hesitate bashing head like this. You can't tell me what to do. You ain't my mother. I love when a plan comes together. Come and tell us what yours are too. We've all been told we can't discuss nominations. It's a bit of car air. Shut up with a novel on the top. I think I like you, Lovejoy. Find us on Twitter at Box Delights Pod and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. As already mentioned, this is, looking back at this, this is obviously, as already mentioned, this is, looking back at this, this is obviously a, a repeat performance. And it's a chance to have a look to, uh, at the top of the pop. So I would already be missing this far into this episode. Is that band, is those people who have changed your life this yeah, week? Yeah, yeah. And here they are. And you can, get to see, you can see all of them doing their thing. And uh, you can obviously see the crowd are into it. It's mm. like being at a gig. But a really good gig where there's no leads going everywhere and... Uh, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is a top of the pops I grew up with, and I'm already sad to see it disappear. You could just imagine what Zoo would do with oh, this. Oh, Jesus Christ, <laughs> Neil. I mean, they wouldn't pay it any respect whatsoever because they hate pop music, and they'd just do their usual mm. jolly, brassy, happy steps. Because um, I'd never recall Zoo in any way emotionally reflecting a song in their dancing. No. 
or paying attention or caring about yeah. what the lyrics to the song are. So you can imagine they would have just stomped all over this with their big idiot boots. With wild um, faces. So, so this appearance, like you say, it's a beautiful reminder of what Top of the Pops used to do so well and aren't really going to do much anymore. Let singers sing, you know, let bands mm. band. They would have been there um, cunting it all up <laughs> uh, without a doubt. So it's a, it's mm. a heartbreakingly poignant yeah. reminder of what Top of the Pops were, was best at this performance. This is an oral 80s night poster, isn't it? It is, yeah. But, you know, sometimes when you want to encapsulate an era, it is usually the best stuff that gets put up there. So, yeah, fuck okay. it. <laughs> Definitely a high point of the 80s. Um, and like most high points, it kind of, it it's dazzle kind of obliterates the shade, if you like. So you, you, you kind of forget how crap a lot of the 80s were because of records yeah. like this. This is a high point from one of those two or yes. three years in which the 80s were just, were just astonishing. Um, mm. you know pop being made by real people in a sense that you could walk yeah. past in the street you could imagine doing that uh, walking past Phil Oakey you might be a bit scared but you would <laughs> and, and he'd be still yeah. part of this astonishing record yeah. this is definitely a high point record of the 80s so the following week Don't You Want Me was finally relieved of its duties at number one dropping one place to make way for Land of Make Believe by Bucks Fizz but they still pitched up on that week's Top of the Pops when the pop-crazed youngsters were traumatised by the sight of being boiled. A re-release by EMI, which had entered the top 40 at number 19, being danced to by Dave Lee Travis. <laughs> the official follow-up, Mirror Man, got to number two for three weeks in November and December of 1982, held off number one by I Don't Wanna Dance by Eddie Grant and Beat Surrender by The Jam. And in the summer of 1982, Don't You Want Me spent three weeks at number one in America and is considered the flagship record of the second British invasion. Even more kids are allowed to stand next to Powell, making him look like someone trapped in a bus shelter when Grange Hill has kicked out, as he points out that the Human League have been number one for two years and Dare is the UK's number one LP. He then invites us back next week and introduces It Must Be Love by Madness. We've covered Madness many a time and off, and this, their tenth single, is the follow-up to Shut Up which got to number seven in October of 1981. It's a cover of the Labby Sifri single, which got to number 14 in January of 1972 and became part of the band's live repertoire when keyboard player Mike Barson would play it at sound checks and eventually became part of their encores at gigs. 
When it was heard by Dave Robinson, the owner of Stiff Records, he insisted that the band put it out as a single, but they were dead against putting out cover versions, only relenting when he told them he would give them the label if it didn't make the top five. When it entered the chart at the beginning of December at number 24, the video, which featured a cameo of Sifri on violin and the band dressing up as Undertakers and putting the fun in funeral, was played in full on top of the pops, causing Jimmy Savile to tell the pop-crazed youngsters afterwards not to play electric guitars in swimming pools, which set off a bit of tabloid nonsense. This time, the BBC BBC have opted not to play an edited video, and as Suggs is currently out of the country on his honeymoon, they've elected to have the single, which has nipped up two places this week from number six to number four, to the relief of Stiff Records, danced to by the kids and the zoo wank as well. Fucking hell. This fucking song. And the minute you hear the opening, your heart just lifts, doesn't it? Yeah. It does, but my heart sinks as well because they're not there. Yes. Without an appearance and without a video, which was what Madness were all about for me as a kid. I loved Mm. the videos. I would have been heartbroken. It doesn't feel right, does it? (laughs) I mean, truth be told, it must be loved perhaps at at that age. I didn't realise just what a beautiful, amazing song that is. Mm. I thought I would have been disappointed with its lack of nuttiness, if you like. Mm. Um... And, you know, also there was this thing in Coventry, definitely, that madness were kind of, you know, down to civic pride to a certain extent. An awful lot of older two-tone fans in Coventry were determined to stay loyal to the Cov stuff. And and madness were kind of looked down a bit on a bit as as interlopers and a bit too pop. But any kid is just going to love madness, especially on the run of singles that they're on. Um, You know, we've got Driving in My Car, we've got House of Fun coming up, haven't we? We've just had Cardiac Arrest, I think. I mean... You know, to, like I say, at that age, It Must Be Love wouldn't have been one of my faves, but what an astonishing run of singles yeah. this band was on. And yeah, yeah, gutted that it's Zoo dancing to them. Well, yeah, because we start with the kids, some of whom have been given flags to wave. And, you know, we're getting that school disco vibe that's beloved of chart music, but then, sadly, it gives way to Attack of the Zoo Wankers. <laughs> it's, I've, I've got in my notes here, good Lord, what are they all doing? mm because it's the it's the return of the um of the strong man flexing. Yes, yeah, they're and back. It's like he's <laughs> This is not a song that you do a, a pose down to. It, it really does. isn't. It's, it, it no. doesn't make any sense at all. It's no. like he's he's got on it's like I'm looking at a man with I'm trying to enjoy this song that I love very, very much and I have to look at a, a man in a white leather studded collar with big fucking like studded the kind of like slightly health and safety mm. wrongness studded collar and matching cuffs yeah. and he's undulating his shoulders in the yeah, other sure. parts of yeah. himself yeah. and I don't I, no. I don't want to see it. Well Zoo's performance would be understandable, you know, if if they were Czechoslovakian and didn't speak English and didn't know what any of the lyrics were and just decided to throw a load of crazy crap at this thing. Um, yes. As it is, they have no excuse. Why is this going on to this record? And you know, this is the predominant question whenever we're confronted with zoo performances. Why? Why are you doing this? Why must you enrage me so? Yes. Um, with your yeah. idiot joy. And that there is a way to dance to madness that everyone knows. Everyone knows how to do it. You know, but nutty dancing. This is fucking knobhead dancing. This is proper hands on the shoulders, hands on the hips. Disco shuffling about. It's basically the, the sign language of woo, isn't it? There is this kind of odd memory in my head but um 
I, I definitely recall dancing to Madness with Pricey and Taylor. Oh, I'd love to see Taylor doing that. <laughs> um, it was one of the first times I'd ever met those guys. Mm. We were asked to um, do um, Bristol Sound City, which was kind of like a week-long music festival in Bristol. Right. And I'd never really met music journalists before. I'd kind of like been in the office peer- like really, really infrequently. And I just found them... Uh, other writers like usually intimidating basically because I was a fanboy and I was kind mm. of you know I still had that sort of layer of, of, of fear if you like of these people I've been reading for so long I mean I've been reading Pricey and Taylor for so long by the time that I joined the Melody Maker and you yeah. know but meeting them um, in Bristol that week I rapidly realized that yeah not all music journalists are massively intimidating <laughs> and not all of them I mean it was like meeting old mates because the way that we could talk with each other and the way that we could talk about music. But more importantly, I remember that moment when we were in a nightclub and, yeah, a madness tune came on and it wasn't all shrinking wall violets just kind of talking about what we were hearing. We were immediately like, come on, we've got to fucking dance to this. And and we nutty boy stepped onto the dance floor, as it were. The bummer's conga, as David (laughs) calls it. Um, But, yeah, I mean, look, if me, Pricey and Taylor, drunk, could manage to get the dancing right to madness... Um, back in 1995, um, surely Zoo, you know, professional bloody dancers could get it right. But as the, as this footage shows, no, they couldn't. Well, here we go. In the actual thing, you see Romo Ralph Wiggum. Yeah. He's yeah. doing the fucking nutty dance. Not very well, but he knows. And the Zoo wankers, you just see them. They are absolutely clueless. Yeah, they don't know pop. Yeah. They don't listen to it. They don't care about it. They presumably have a bar no. across the middle of their sort of uh, wall in their living room and they just practice plies and fucking moves and, and you know, pirouettes. Mm. They, they're completely detached from pop. I never got that feel from Legs and Co and Pans people. You got the feeling, yeah. especially because they used to actually sing along to some of the songs that they used to be dancing to. That was a really telling moment in old episodes. You're not going to get any of that with Zoo. Mm-hmm. Um, they ultimately no. might as well not have the music playing and just have a metronome ticking the time Yeah, um, for them to do their nonsense. Or Flick Colby banging a stick yeah. on the floor. Well, quite, yeah. <laughs> and of course, you know, we get to see Powell um, chatting up uh, a zoo wanker in a Doric Kyton. Yes, got to say Doric Kyton again. <laughs> yes. And then they end up doing a bit of proper knees up Mother Browning. So, he, you know, he's in the, he's in the right postcode. Mm. But when Peter Powell's a better interpretive dancer than you, <laughs> then you've got no right to be a professional dancer. Shame he's not doing the running man again, though. That was good. True. The horsing man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Neil, um, important yes. question. Were you in the middle of, of the, the Nutty Boys when, when you Nutty Boyed? That's what I was trying to think of earlier. See, when you did the Nutty Boys. I certainly wasn't in the middle. I'm just thinking in, in, in order of height. Yeah, I may well have dreamt it, but why the fuck am I dreaming about that? Um, I may well dream it tonight. <laughs> me, Taylor and Simon, that, that, that week, we really fostered... Oh, that fostered a bond. We weren't beating drums out in oh. the forest. But um, <laughs> no, it, 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 was, it was the first time I'd met other journalists and they weren't scary, in a sense. They weren't intimidating. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They were just... We could chat shit. And we did chat a lot of shit that week. It was, it was a lovely, lovely week. But I do remember, yeah, Nutty Boy dancing to Madness. Because it, I rapidly knew that these people would be my friends because they were the kind of people who, if a tune came on, they were like, fucking hell, we've got to dance. You know. Mm. Wall, shrinking wall violets or anything like that. Mm. We were we, we were dancing. Yeah, it was good. I do love this song very much. It makes me. It there's an innocence about it that is so disarming, and yeah. it makes me messed up every time. 
yeah. every time. Madness have that. Madness have that ability to. I mean, not uh, they were never a funny band per se. If you like, the videos were funny, but they have mm. this ability to to cheer you along, joy you along, but also break your heart. Mm. They can put things in the middle of a, an ostensibly simple song like Our House or something um, that really gets to your heart. Yeah. And, and and this one is a really good song about relationships. Unfortunately, yeah, we've got to watch fucking mm. Zoo. So the following week, It Must Be Loved dropped five places to number nine. There, there, there's the zoo effect for you. And the follow-up... Cardiac Arrest only got to number 14 for two weeks in March of 1982, snapping their streak of nine top ten hits on the bounce. But they roared back in May when House of Fug got to number one for two weeks. When the Complete Madness video came out later this year, the band tacked on a warning by Lee Thompson at the beginning of the video, filmed at Camden Lock. In early 1992, nearly six years after the original band split up, It Must Be Love was re-released in advance of the greatest hits compilation Divine Madness and amazingly got to number six in February of that year, leading to more re-releases and the Madstock Reformation. And 20 years later, Madness's performance in an episode of Later with Jules Holland was held up when Suggs was ordered to change out of the Jimmy Savile costume he was wearing. (laughs) So as the show plays out, we're reminded that the BBC has just released Top of the Pops Volume 9, featuring Rock This Town, Reward, Swords of a Thousand Men, It's a Mystery, Intuition and 10 more tracks on Super B Records with Legs and Co. slinking about on the cover. Oh, we miss you. They also shill their video cassettes Deep Purple, California Jam 1974, and Toya at the Rainbow for a mere £34.95 each. And that, me dears, closes the book on this episode of Top of the Pops. What's on telly afterwards? Well, BBC One immediately pitches into the new series of Wildlife on One with the episode Ambush at Masai Mara, where David Attenborough follows a herd of wildebeests on their annual migration and uncharitably refuses to shout a warning at them when the lions pitch up the bastard. (laughs) Then it's the penultimate episode of Seconds Out, the boxing sitcom starring Robert Lindsay, the nine o'clock news, and a repeat of the first episode of the second series of Shoestring. Then there's highlights from the tennis, the news headlines, and they round off the night with Now Get Out of That <laughs> to Kish's Castle for Oxbridge Types, hosted by Bernard Falk. Or is it Bernard Falk? I don't fucking know. I'm 13. BBC Two pitches into 100 great paintings, and tonight it's Goya's The Burial of the Sardine, followed by part three of the sports documentary series Maestro, which features Tony Jacklin. Then it's Russell Harter, who gives a free advert to a Scottish fabric company who was put on a big do in Munich, followed by the final part of the documentary series Dancing Girls, where two English dancers take a job in Las Vegas. After news night, they finish the night with an old grey whistle test special on the doors. ITV hangs out Ryan's daughter all the way through the night, breaking off at nine for the news, and they finally get stuck into the Monte Carlo show, starring David Essex, and sign off with what the papers say. So, me dears, what are we talking about in the playground tomorrow? I think I would have been talking about... um... The meatloaf video mainly. Yes. That would have totally detonated my young mind. Mm. And, and <laughs> I'd mainly be talking about Cher, 
to be um, in fact maybe i wouldn't be talking about share i'd just be thinking about share in the playground um the following morning with quite sort of confused and adult thoughts to be honest with you in my prepubescent mind but i, I would have been massively thinking about that um <laughs> I possibly also would have talked about Human League because even, even though they'd been at number one for a while, uh, it was always a joy just to see that. So I'd have been talking about how good that was. Yeah, the meatloaf video and like the possibility of uh, one day that being my adult life that I could, you know, dance on a bar in a tiny skirt and look amazing and be a massive yeah. badass. <laughs> mm. And p- perhaps also... Because, I mean, my sister seems to recall me, me basically moaning more than I praised, if you like, even from a young age. So I possibly would have also been starting to talk about how much I hate Zoo, um, although it wasn't a fully developed hatred yet. Because I'd only just started, of course, I think I would have been talking about, yeah, my burgeoning dislike of this new dance troupe and how they were wrecking the programme. <laughs> you definitely have now. Yeah. You've made up for it. If you didn't, if, you know, if you didn't have it, then you definitely do now. Yeah. That, that is a fact. <laughs> what are we buying on Saturday? I would, I, I mean, I would say, obviously I was too little, but I would say, I would say the Human League, except that I probably wouldn't be cool enough, so Meatloaf. And I'm okay with that as as an adult. I'd be buying um, Madness League Meat Pearl, I think, in that order. Um, four corkers on this episode. And what does this episode tell us about January 1982? For me, it tells me that uh, it reminds me that I was um, born a bit too late. I would have been <laughs> if nineteen eighty two was my year zero. I'd, I'd probably be a you know my my life would probably be better than if I were if nineteen eighty four was my pity me for nineteen eighty four was my year zero. In terms of what this episode means um, about the early eighties and about nineteen eighty two, look. 1982 is a good year, don't get me wrong. There's still lots of people who are going to bring out fantastic records this year. Um, the Associates in Japan and, and ABC are just the ones that spring to mind. But there is already the sense for me um, that I detect in this episode um, of a couple of things. One, the kind of the, the way that synths had previously been so looked down upon, in a sense, by proper musicians. Um, and had kind of um, been in the hands, if you like, of those non-musicians who were making amazing pop music, and in the hands of the freaks and the dissidents and, and, and those people. There is a sense in this episode that that technology is now finding itself increasingly in the hands of your proggers and your bland popsters, in a way, and not your freaks, foreshadowing, really, what's going to happen in 83 and 84 when that stuff, synth music, really does pass almost entirely into those people's hands. So there's that on the musical front, already foreshadowings of perhaps how bad 83 and 84 are going to get. But, yeah, I, I don't want to overstress that because 82 is still a great year. I mean, for uh, for me, it's just like, oh, my God, I, I really miss Legs <laughs> & Co. Mm, mm. I really do. You, the thing about Legs and Co. and Pan's people was you knew who they were. That's it, yeah. And they had some sort of a personality to them. And you could pick out a favourite for whatever reason. And they, they knew their fucking place. It was just like, we're going to see them on one song. Um, for Top of the Pops itself, um, we're in this kind of... It's kind of this episode is very, very definitive of 82, but mm. also definitive of of how... Um, certain elements of Top of the Pops still needed changing. I, I think yeah. by 82, 
We have MTV kind of on its way in America. We have music videos really seen now as a promotional device by bands that all bands have to do, in a sense. So the argument for having a dance troupe at all, I would say, has vanished now. In 77, 78, you know, with Legs and Co., in, in those 70s episodes, there's a reason. If the band can't appear and there's no video... yeah. There's a reason for having a dance troupe. By 82, I can't quite see or establish a reason for there being a dance troupe in this show anymore. Mm. And it just looks horrifically dated. Yes, it does. Um, It's not so much what Zoo were wearing that looks dated. You know, Zoo could not be more 1982. Mm. But even in 1982, I would have thought, what is the point of this? Why are we still having these dance troupes when they when they could just go to a video? Exactly. So this kind of halfway house makes Top of the Pops really not look like it's confident in what it is or, or knows what it is anymore yeah. so it's it's sort of in between pop and a light entertainment show in a way it's indistinguishable from from other stuff on telly like the hot shoe show or something that has dance troops in mm. get rid of that and just make it a, a proper a, a pop music show with performances and bands banding and singers singing and maybe videos videoing you know um, that was where pop was at at that time it wasn't really in this kind of netherworld of, of, of dance troops. I think mm. what could have successfully killed off the dance troupe idea would have been perhaps the hiring of, of Hot Gossip. Yes. That's the dance troupe. And just a few nights of utterly inappropriate undulation and, and groin smelling mm. would have been enough to get the dance troupe completely banished from Top of the Pops. But unfortunately, we linger on for a few more sad years mm. with zoo wankers overpopulating the stage, shouldering out the kids, misunderstanding pop music, looking down on it, Mm. and basically sustaining themselves but not really caring about the show. So, you know, we're at a kind of peak musically, in a sense, in 82, early 82, because pop is still vibrant, exciting, and thrilling. But already there are signs of how the 80s might go, and there are already signs that Top of the Pops is going to have (laughs) to adapt and change and move on and stop holding on to its 70s ideas, if you like, into the 80s, into the video age. It's going to have to compete with things um, at a much tougher level than it ever has before. It's still our half hour of pop every week, but um, it's got to change. And unfortunately, Zoo is just a, a sort of changing of the guard, if you like. The essential idea of a dance troupe is what needs to change. Well, you say there's no room for dance troops uh, anymore, Neil, in the early 80s, but I've got to beg to differ there because, you know, the great tragedy of the era is that this is the time that Les Dawson has got the roly-polies on. (laughs) For fuck's sake, get them on top of the pops and call them chip pans people. (laughs) That's what you need to do. Imagine elderly people dancing to the hits of now. You'd watch that shit every fucking Thursday night until the end of time. (laughs) Yeah, little Mo with a fright mask on, dancing to Love Missile F111. Who's not going to want to watch that? <laughs> and that, pop crazy youngsters, brings this episode of Chart Music to a close. All that remains now is to do the usual promotional flange, which is www.chart-music.co.uk. Come and connect with us on Facebook, baby. Facebook.com slash Chart Music Podcast. Reach out to us on Twitter at Chart Music TOTP and shove that money right down the G string. Patreon.com slash Chart Music. And seriously, we are even more grateful to the Pop Craze Patreons than ever before. Uh, I just want to give 
two special thanks to two special people. Uh, Doug Grant, you went over and above the call of duty just the other day for chart music. Uh, thank you very much, sir. But also, I really need to thank Chris Oakley over in New Zealand, who out of the blue dropped a chart music wiki on us. <gasps> Yes. Have you seen it? So amazing. It's amazing Isn't it? bit of work, Mr. Oakley. Well if done. you're new to the world of chart music and you need to you <laughs> need to know what, I don't know, white pajama music is or something like that, or any one of the million things we just come out with, like the old sailor, you have to go to this and look at it and learn it. And teach your children as well. <laughs> Fuck what the schools are teaching them now. Get them to find out about Bummer Dog, I say. Uh, if you want to have a look at it, it's bitle. B-I-T dot L-Y slash chart music wiki, one word. Oh, it's amazing. Chris, thank you, sir. Thanks, mate. So anyway, let's fuck off back to our um, shelters, I think. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see you soon. And yeah, we are going to have a think about bunging out bonus content. We, we are in talks. We're conferencing and all yeah. that shit, yep, aren't yep, we, yep. at the minute? We're going to try and do something with you because, mm. I mean, fucking hell, you know, there's not much else we can do at the minute but talk shit about old Top of the Pops. So until then, I just want to say, take care, Neil Kulkarna. Ta-ra. Stay safe, Sarah B. I will. And you? My name's Al Needham, and I got the kind of arse that does more than shit. <laughs> Chart music. Great Big Owl.com. Chart Music Theatre presents Ned's Atomic Dustbin's Brain Blood Volume, reviewed by Neil Kulkane, read by Ace Batter. Cherry red, dock wearing, stupid Bronx hat and shorts, combo, side winding Carter shirt, over PWEI, long sleeve, stripy tight, pony owning, horse race, drippy please hit me, Mazola haired, spotty sack of subservience girlfriend, having invade your local and share your shallowest thoughts, play the duke for two hours worth of shit, sit there, mouthing the lyrics, looking at the door, trying to blend, call brown ale, nuky brown, drink it out of plastic glasses, pissed on two, put glory box on to show how hip you are, Sit near to me and with every word of your cretinous jabber Make me want to rip your face off Vegetarians apart from fish Keep the spliff for too long Hold it in too short Bloat straight out And dribble a duck's arse all over the roach Then giggle for half an hour And fall asleep as it burns off in your hand Watching Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart, Blues Brothers Angel Heart, Lost Boys With Nail and Fucking Eye Rocky Horror Picture Show, Betty Blue Whatever fucking stewed movie that irritates the fuck out of all the decent saints people skipping onto the dance floor for the poppies lean over into their mates faces and shout the words so everybody knows you know them hug everybody you meet like you haven't seen them for five years even when they've just come back from a piss nme reading mm when you like the cover do the sailor's hornpipe to the levelers have a zany quotes board in your communal kitchen sneer at townies ruin every pub you set foot in for nine months a year phone daddy for an extra grand and Facts through your skid-marked shreddies. Red witch drinking. Talk in cinemas as loud as possible. Laugh at all the most annoying moments. Think the people in Dogs in Space are cool and not the wretched sticks of shit they are. Dennis Leary, Fantasy Football, Red Dwarf.
off, Newman Badil laughing, secret Jasper Carrot admiring, clog up the aisles in supermarkets, individually levelling coffee granules. Daddy's working class. He owns British Steel. Louise Wenner wanking over Blockbuster's theme tune. Dancing Lamac Wiley, listening tie checkered shirt round your waist, goatee beard. Attempting waiting for your balls to drop. Say pants. When annoyed, Terry Pratchett reading. Vic and Bob quoting stupid, dense, thick, crass, Scottish, doltish, dumb, imbecile, dim, idiotic, asinine, fatuous, inane, gormless, snide, mindless, brainless, daft, backsliding, pig cunt, bastard scab, insect bitch, shite eating, monkey spunk, gorging face, ass headed, sweaty, ring pierced, fucking scum. Yeah, I'm talking to you, motherfucker. Oh, you'll love it. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.